Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen is a fresh talk radio approach promoting happiness from the inside out. Happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Each week, Lisa shines her light on well-being and global human flourishing by presenting a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Lisa Cypress Kamen is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and integrated well-being. Let's get to it. Here's your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week, we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart. And this show is most definitely all about the heart. Today we're talking about a really important subject, um, and that is loneliness. And for many of the listeners out there and those of you who have families, which are most of you, um, loneliness is a modern emotional epidemic. It is at the root or certainly one of the major contributory causes of depression. And my first guest is a coach. Um, she works with individuals, with, with couples, families, and businesses, um, training Silicon Valley startups to work cohesively. In other words, when we really uh, learn how to work well with one another, to play nicely, we end up having more fulfilling um, heartfelt relationships. Kira Asatrian is also a popular blogger on Psychology Today as well as other sites prior to becoming a full-time relationship coach. She ran marketing campaigns across major platforms including Facebook, Twitter, and Google search. And according to Kira Asatrian, closeness is the foundation of all happy and long-lasting relationships, whether they're romantic, platonic, or business-related. She also wrote a book entitled Stop Being Lonely that explains how all relationships lie somewhere on the spectrum from distance to close, and the closer to close, the better the relationship. In her book, which is about to come out any second, Kira goes on to complete a program to making any relationship closer. The book, Stop Being Lonely, and I welcome Kira Asatrian. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Well, this is a very, very important subject and one that comes up every day in my private practice. Um, as many of you know, I work with people who are challenged with addiction and trauma and major life crises. And this, this sense of isolation, loneliness and despair and separateness 
from the connectedness that we all desire is often at the root of what is going on in our um, emotional storm. Absolutely. Yeah. The, you know, when I started thinking about what this book was going to be about, I sort of looked back into my own experience with loneliness and, and a lot of the advice that I had received and I, I felt like most of it was really addressing a slightly different problem, which is so, social isolation. So it was a little bit more like go out there and meet people or join a group or, you know, date online or what have you. And for me, I knew that that wasn't working. So I wanted to come up with an alternative that wasn't really about getting more people in your life. It was about getting more positive feeling in your life. Well, you say something very interesting about um, isolation. And yes, while isolation we recognize is, is a problem, the sense of loneliness um, is quite a paradox. When we say to people, how can you be lonely when you have mm-hmm. social media, when you have uh, real live news going on 24-7, there's absolutely no reason to feel loneliness, loneliness and yet it exists. And it's yeah. sort of frightening and sad. Yeah, that's a very, very interesting problem. And it and it's it's very disturbing to people, including myself. You know, I I, I also went through this myself. Um I had a great deal of um <laughs> I had a great deal of trouble distinguishing between um having people in my life and having good relationships. And honestly, you know, what I have researched and come up with is that social media is not necessarily helping um, because it it can make you feel like you have closeness in your life when you really just have contacts in your phone or, you know, friends on Facebook. And and most people from their own experience know that that's not terribly satisfying. Well, you know, the, the social media is the illusion of connection. But it is not really the interconnectedness that makes us thrive as humans. That's how I would define it. Yes, that's right. I agree and with that. Tiffany Schlein, who's a, a, a Bay Area-based documentary filmmaker, and she's the founder of The Webbies, and she's been on the show before talking about her film, Connected. And she talks about how we really are wired for this deep sense of community and connection and to rely upon one another for emotional and social support. And in this uber-faced or uber-fast-paced world, I should say, that we tend to um, step away from that rather than lean in, which is how we need to combat loneliness in the very real world that we live in. We pull away using those layers of social media or digital media as a, a, a filter. Yeah, absolutely. The, you know, social media is, is easy and it's, and it feels good in the moment. Um, but the issue is that it doesn't really have the long lasting effects that closeness does. Um, and just to kind of define closeness the way that I talk about it, cause that, that word means a lot of different things, but the way that I speak about it, it means that somebody knows you well and they care about you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I wanted to frame it that way because, if, if you're kind of into relationships, which I think a lot of people are, um, you'll hear all these different things about all these different things you're supposed to do to build a relationship. Um, you know, there's social support, which you, which you just mentioned, you're supposed to build trust. 
Um, you're supposed to self-disclose. There's just a lot of stuff. And I wanted to make it as simple, as streamlined as possible. Well, the notion of closeness that you and I can be having a conversation such as this and for the whatever the duration of our virtual visit, mm-hmm. that we're agreeing that we are going to show up fully, mm-hmm. present, listen, um, be empathic by the very nature of what we're each trying to do for one another, which is understand each other's position. And I believe that is what you're saying about building closeness, that it doesn't have to be the kinds of intimacy that we look for in a marriage, but it right. is it is a 500% level of engagement in the mm-hmm. moment. Yeah, and that's a big stumbling block for a lot of people is that most of most most of the research and most of the stuff that's kind of floating out there about how to gain more, most people call it intimacy. I think that word is scary for people. You know, fear of intimacy is a whole category onto itself. Um, and, and the way that I like to come at it is that you don't need to be intimate in the way that traditionally people think about that in the sense that you don't need to reveal everything right away and, beca- and make yourself extremely vulnerable. It's more just about this spectrum idea that, you know, if you start out just meeting somebody, you're, you're on the distant end of the spectrum and you can move that relationship as close to close as you would like to. Uh, but this is a very interesting concept in, in a business relationship. You know, mm-hmm. we all understand it theoretically when it comes to one-on-one in our personal lives. But what I love about what you're saying, and here is what I think is fascinating, is that we can apply this to our professional world. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a study that came out last year that was published in the Harvard Business Review that was um, that that actually showed that the number one thing that predicted productivity in the office is engagement outside of the office, meaning when people on business teams like each other and want to hang out and want to talk about things other than their business projects, it actually makes the business flourish, which I thought was quite amazing. Very much so. And I really like this concept of closeness in the workplace uh, in a very responsible way because it, it, it implies an agreement that I am going to show up as authentically as I can because it matters. You matter. The, the, the job that we're trying to do here really matters. And in doing so, we form a bond. And when you form a bond with somebody, the mission becomes aligned and the performance goes up. Yeah. And, and the idea of teamwork is, is kind of universal in, in all relationships. You know, people who are married know that they need to work as a team. It's a, it's a profound idea. And I like that you're saying show up. Yeah. Show up. Yeah. Because it's, because that's not, that doesn't mean, you know, tell everybody all your secrets. It just means be there, be present, be with them. And when we're talking about loneliness, and the uh, antidote for loneliness, it's not really going into your deepest, darkest secret or using every social engagement as a, as a therapy session. Oftentimes, it means just plugging into life and, mm-hmm. and that sense of showing up, you know, doing yeah. something differently, coming out of one's uh, cocoon or cave, depending upon how you look at it. <laughs> um, yeah. And if you, start, if you start doing this, some relationships will get very close and, and it will become intimate in the more traditional sense. Um, but they don't have to be, you know, most, 
uh, most of the studies have shown that you, you really only want a maximum of five very close relationships because they take time to maintain. Um, and more than that is kind of diminishing returns. So everybody else can just be somewhere on the spectrum that makes you feel a little bit less lonely. That is very powerful information about five, you know, mm-hmm. a, a handful of really close, intimate friends. We're going to go to a break. And when we come back, we are going to continue the discussion with Kira Asatrian. The book is Stop Being Lonely. Her website is stopbeinglonely.com. On Twitter, she is at Kira Asatrian. And on Facebook, that page is Stop Being Lonely. Here come the tunes. We will be right back. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Harvest more happiness by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Love to read? Looking to harvest your happiness? Then look no further. Lisa Cypress Kamen is an author of three amazing books that will assist in taking your well-being and self-mastery to the next level. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life offers breakthrough strategies for creating your own personal happiness revolution. Perspectives on addiction, an integrated journey to wellness is an overview of the recovery process from a multi-stepped perspective and holistic approach of substance abuse and lifestyle management. Through her third book, Reintegration Strategies for Depression, Anxiety, Anger, Grief, and Post-Traumatic Stress, offers an own-nonsense approach to dealing with post-combat civilian life reintegration issues for veterans and their families. You'll find these books online at Amazon.com and HarvestingHappiness.com. Mindful meditative moments are free and relaxing on-the-spot mini staycation journeys designed to calm the mind and soothe the body from the comfort of wherever you are. No reservations or travel required. Check out the playlists on HarvestingHappiness.com and Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes and SoundCloud. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen, the show dedicated to promoting happiness from the inside out by thriving with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. So let's get back to the show and your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast. Why? Because sharing is caring. And we're talking about loneliness, which is an emotional epidemic in the world today. And my guest is Kira Asatran. She is a coach and she's also an author. She works with individuals and businesses to train others how to be more connected, how to be more close. And the byproduct of learning how to be more close and real and authentic in our engagement is that we minimize the loneliness that is pervasive in our world today. Kira, prior to the break, we were talking about, or you were talking about, um, some of the scientific research that says that we really only have the RAM for Mm -hmm. about five close people to hold to our hearts. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. And, and interestingly, it's, it's at most five, so it can be less than that. Um, 
there are quite a number of people out there that really have one very close person to their heart and, and don't feel lonely. Um, interesting, interesting. Yeah. So what, 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 what I hear you saying is for those of you out there who are, are basing your worth and your social standing in your likes, your follows and your hearts, that there may be something a little bit um, unfulfilling when mm-hmm. it comes to the closeness department. Yeah, I think that, you know, one of the things that kind of plagues us is that we tend to turn to romantic relationships for this feeling. Like we we assume that a spouse should be that number one closest person. And that's probably mostly true for most people, but it certainly doesn't have to be. Um, And one thing that I talk about in the book that I think is important is that most people spend the lion's share of their time at work. Um, And why not allow those relationships to matter also? What are some things that we can do right now that can help us become closer with the people that are near to us? Yeah, I think that when it comes to building relationships, so if there's somebody that you you know them, they're an acquaintance, but you feel like you would like to be closer to them. The first thing to do is go offline, <laughs> meet with them in person, ideally one-on-one, um, and, and just ask them some questions. Uh, as, as somebody, I personally, you know, have dealt with my own amount of social anxiety, which is very intertwined with loneliness. And asking questions re- relieves a lot of the pressure for you to be like funny or interesting or entertain them. You know, so that's that's the that's the initial way to get to know somebody. And asking questions does something else that's very, very powerful, that Mm -hmm. if there is depression associated with the loneliness, when we are in a state of curiosity, Mm -hmm. we are occupying our mind. We're actually bringing ourselves to a very, very mindful place. And because the brain can't be in two places at once. That place of asking questions, that place of inquiry is very present-based. Yes, I totally agree. Curiosity is really, is really the basis of the knowing part um, when I talk about closeness. It's, and, and, and I mean that in an authentic way. Like You're not just asking questions to ask questions. You are asking about the things you would genuinely like to know more about that person. I love that you said go offline. You know, take a take a digital vacation. Yeah, <laughs> that's very very powerful. Um, let's talk a little bit about the increase in loneliness over the past several decades, because there are some statistics on this that I think are very very enlightening. Yeah, the big one was uh, was done by the General Social Survey, and and it compared it asked people the same questions about loneliness um, in 1985 and then in 2005. And it showed that loneliness was up about 30% um, in those two decades. And and one of the more interesting things to me, or is that two decades? Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the interesting things three, to me. Three decades. Three decades? Oh, no, 2005, 2005, because I'm yeah. going for I know, I'm thinking okay. 2015, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, was that the when people were asked, how many confidants do you have in 2005? The most common response was zero. And that's powerful that you know that's not good <laughs> no, no no and what what does that say about our uh sense of of, of risk taking vulnerability um living in fear you know of mm-hmm. of what we have to share not being held in confidence there there's some other issues percolating here maybe maybe for your next book 
Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, this, this stuff is scary and taking a risk is part of it. And I don't want to, you know, make it sound too easy because it is challenging, but it's so worth it. Um, I, the, the health risks to being chronically lonely are on par with obesity and smoking and really a lot of the, the worst things that you can do for yourself. So it's generally worth it. And we know that depression, you know, the concept mm-hmm. of emotional suffering and how pain and suffering registers in the brain is not different than physical suffering. In That's other words, right. the brain in a, in a depressed state, you know, is, is in pain, in emotional pain. The body in, a, in a, um, an injured state, it too is in pain and the brain registers that pain. And the long-term effects on the body and the mind and the spirit um, is one of lowered immune system, uh, mm-hmm. lower lifespan, lower uh, self-reporting of uh, emotional well-being. I mean, these are, these are very serious byproducts. Absolutely. And, and the relationship between loneliness and depression is complex and, and has not been studied well, but, but in, in the most recent DSM, the, the manual that's used to diagnose uh, mental disorders, including depression, one of the questions on the depression list is, are you feeling lonely? So clearly, th- we have an intuitive understanding that these two things are related. And there is a, a a real difference between being alone and feeling lonely. Yes, there really is. Um, they're both they both have their issues, and if you are physically alone, not by choice, that that very frequently leads to loneliness. But as a self proclaimed introvert, I love my alone time. I know lots of people that choose to be alone and love it, and are not having negative consequences from it. It's, it's really more about if you feel like you're in control of your aloneness or not. Yes, and I think that ties very well into that, the theme of depression and isolation. And depression is often the byproduct of feeling as though one cannot control one's life or one's circumstances. Feeling yeah. though as though that the life that we're living is not as we want it and not possessing the tools, resources, or bandwidth to make the change. Absolutely, yeah. Um, let's talk about the impact on all of this for millennials, for the younger generation, because I've got two, two late teenagers, one in college, one in high school, and I, I see this in how um, they operate in their daily lives, you know, with zillions of air quote friends, and yet, you know, there is <laughs> yeah. that sense of, of, of loneliness. Yeah, it's very interesting. It's especially interesting for me because I, I live in Silicon Valley. My husband is the CEO of a tech startup. So I'm kind of, and I used to work in that world. So I know it pretty well. And one of the things that I think is a little bit subtle, but, but important about the relationship to technology and all of this is that the way that our, our tech products are made, the only thing that you're really trying to accomplish with them is you're trying to be efficient. Meaning when you open up your iPhone or whatever kind of smartphone you have, um, you are trying to get as much done with as little effort as possible. Mm. And that kind of training does, does actually affect the way that we think about everything, including relationships. I'm thinking about what you're saying, 
And I'm thinking about a conversation I had just last night with my son, who is 16, that involved him getting off the sofa to do something (laughs) that he wanted, you know? Yep. And the resistance to do so because of the effort that it would require. Yeah, it really, you know, technology is the teacher of of this younger generation. And I'm I'm early 30s, so I remember, you know, Encyclopedia Britannica. And I also... (laughs) And I also remember the transition to phones. So, Did you hold and- the book? Did you actually <laughs> hold the Encyclopedia Britannica? Absolutely. We had the whole volume in my basement. Yeah. Wow, I'm impressed. Yeah. So, but, so to me, it's very obvious. I think that the, the millennials that are more of like the 20-year-old set may not really remember a time before this. Well, they certainly don't remember payphones. <laughs> You know, that's a, that's completely a thing of the past in, in this younger generation. No. Yeah. Uh, Let's talk for a moment about how we can support the younger generation in establishing closeness in some very simple, easy terms. I mean, we know that going offline is very helpful. We know that asking questions and engaging with interest, but let's say we've got these uh, late teenagers, uh, 20-year-olds, mid-20s. What would you suggest to them or for our listeners who may be older for them to suggest to their kids to go out and and engage more positively? Yeah, the, the reality that I have seen is that you can't really tell a teenager to put their phone down. So there are ways that you can incorporate phones and the internet and chat and text and all of that into this. Um, what I say is that just use it in service of in-person interaction, meaning it's completely fine to text with somebody you just met, but, but use text to meet them in person. Don't just stay on text. I think this is very, very good advice. So use technology mm-hmm. as uh, the bridge for real FaceTime, not, exactly. not digital FaceTime, to really be in someone's presence and dedicate a few minutes of yourself and your time to connecting with another person. Yep, that is right. Love that. Um, and what about businesses? Just give us a, a quick wrap up mm-hmm. about what you do when you come into a company and you are uh, you're charged with creating a, a sense of closeness in the mm-hmm. room to some people who may be eye rolling. Like, what is this person <laughs> doing here? You know? Yeah, I would say the number one thing for business is foster engagement. And what I mean by that is get people talking about things that are not and doing things that are not necessarily directly related to the business. Even, Uh, even, even the, you know, the classic offsite is, is actually pretty good. Like that's a, that's a good idea. Um, And it can be as simple as just have starting up a conversation about something that people can relate to. That's not the work. The weather, for example, you know, the, the, the ubiquitous, ever, ever, ever present weather. Thank you, Kira Asatrin, for being on, being on the show with me. Once again, the book is Stop Being Lonely. The website is stopbeinglonely.com. On Twitter, you can find Kira Asatrian at Kira Asatrian and on Facebook, Stop Being Lonely. Thank you so much for being with me. Here come the tunes. We will be right back. 
We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Harvest more happiness by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Remember what it feels like to receive a gift? We all know nothing gives happiness like a present, so you should unwrap yours at harvestinghappiness.com and sign up to receive your free ebook, Got Happiness Now, that offers simple, user friendly ways to get greater happiness in your world each and every day. That's harvestinghappiness.com. Lisa Cypress Kamen has built an impressive global lifestyle management consulting company offering applied positive psychology, mindfulness, and integrated well-being coaching. Her services, including addiction and trauma recovery support, as well as life crisis triage, are available worldwide through phone, video, and on-site. In addition, Lisa delivers workshops, lectures, and trainings to corporations and institutions and is a frequent guest expert on many prominent radio and TV shows. Connect with us at Harvesting Happiness for more information. Harvesting Happiness for Heroes is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation offering innovative and integrated stigma-free combat recovery services to veterans and their loved ones with programming that focuses on the transformation of post-traumatic stress into post-traumatic growth using scientifically proven positive psychology coaching tools and strategies that increase self-mastery, self-awareness, and self-esteem to help heal the invisible wounds of war. To make a tax-free charitable contribution or to learn more, please visit visit hh4heroes.org. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen, the show dedicated to promoting happiness from the inside out by thriving with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. So let's get back to the show and your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast. Why? Because it's kind, free, legal, available 24-7, and we're talking about loneliness, a modern emotional epidemic and what we can do about it. And my next guest is Dr. Joel Levy, who, along with his wife, Michelle, co-founded Wisdom at Work and the International Center for Corporate Culture and Organizational Health at Innerwork. Technologies, Inc. They are a Seattle-based firm dedicated to developing and renewing organizational cultures and communities in which extraordinary levels of inspired leadership, cooperation, synergy, collective intelligence, and change resilience can thrive. The Levies work with organizations and communities around the globe to inspire people to deepen the wisdom, wonder, compassion, resilience, and creativity They bring to life, work, and relationships amidst the myriad of changes surrounding us humans. Welcome, Joel. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Lisa. It's great to be here with you. Oh, it's wonderful to to have you, especially when we're talking about the pervasiveness of loneliness, that in spite of being uber-connected in an uber-fast-paced world and having everything available to us seemingly, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, loneliness is a big issue. You know, we're disconnected and connected at the same time. Totally. And 
a huge piece of it is we're so disconnected from ourselves that we don't have the neural integrity or the sense of ourselves to be um, integrated within ourselves. And therefore, it's difficult to feel connected with other people. And this is the beauty of your work. I mean, this is what you, it seems to me that you spent um, your life's work, your passion is exploring how we can weave contemporary disciplines, um, wisdom, traditions, and ways of thinking in the world, also integrated with the mind-body connection and health and all sorts of buzzwords that I'm hoping you'll elaborate on to allow people to operate as their best selves. Yes. Um, we've been fortunate to be working in fields related to mind-body medicine, uh, neural integration, contemplative science, interpersonal neurobiology for over 45 years now. And we've been part of many revolutions in this work. The emergence of contemplative science is a viable um, science. Uh, the understanding of the mind-body connection in a deep kind of way, the uh, breakthroughs in neuroplasticity and understanding that the nature of our experience changes the structure and wiring of our nervous systems. And it's, it's so clear that to the degree that we grow up in a way that we develop deeper, more robust, refined connections within our own nervous systems, connections between the many dimensions of our own selves, that that really lays the foundation for our capacity to connect deeply with others. In your best-selling book, Living in Balance, A Mindful Guide for Thriving in a Complex World, you write about this. You share techniques and benefits of spiritual, mental, and emotional balance. Talk a little bit about that and how it relates to uh, one's inner livelihood. Well, you could say that um, if a living system is suffering from ill health or it's sub-optimized in any kind of way, be it loneliness, be it anxiety, be it um, too much stress or tension, that the remedy is really found by learning how to connect with more of ourselves. And um, there's a great line in one of James Joyce's books where he says, Mr. Duffy lived a short distance from his body. And I think the first step is for people to just begin to um, come home to themselves, to, to be able to reach up, touch their hearts, take a deep breath, and just know that they're breathing in or know that they're breathing out or have enough presence of mind to listen deeply into their bodies and their minds and to recognize the whispers and not wait for the screams. It's much easier to, in a sense, blow out a, uh, a match than put out a forest fire. It's much easier to release a little bit of tension or re resolve a little bit of anxiety or worry than to deal with a whole uh, tsunami of it, of accumulated pressure and tension that's been allowed to, to, uh, to increase. You know, as humans... And I know, I know I'm preaching to the choir when I share this, you know, our, our goal is to be the master of our world, right? To be in control of our lives at all times. And certainly through the Buddhist perspective or a mindful perspective, we learn that the way to happiness or the process of happiness comes from the absolute opposite experience of life. 
you know, those sufferings and pains of our life are just, you know, the curriculum for how to gain a deeper wisdom, build a greater connectivity, open our hearts to deeper compassion. Um, there's been a great um, series of studies that have essentially shown that a wandering mind is an unhappy mind, and that as people learn how to be more fully present, to listen more deeply to themselves, to others, to their world, as that concentration grows, that the quality of our happiness actually increases. And the, this whole thing with the mindfulness revolution that we're witnessing uh, rolling around the globe that we've been uh, early pioneers in helping steward. One exercise that we often recommend is for people to envision reaching out with one hand, and your listeners can do this right now, reach out with one hand and imagine holding or touching all the moments of your life that you've been fully present. If, <laughs> if you were eating food, you tasted it. If people were talking to you, you were listening. If you were someplace, you were actually aware of your surroundings, all the moments of your life that you really showed up and lived fully and were mindful of. And in the other hand, you imagine reaching out and holding or touching all of the moments of your life that went by completely unnoticed and unlived when your children were talking to you and you weren't listening, when you were uh, sipping away at that expensive bottle of wine and didn't taste a bit or eating a delicious meal and didn't taste it and just Consider the relative proportion of the moments that you were really awake to your life and the moments that went by completely unnoticed, unlived, and they're unrewindable. We can't reclaim those. So there's a huge incentive in what emerges from that contemplation to just wake up to our lives more deeply and fully. And unfortunately, often the wake-up call comes in the form of, you know, being knocked, knocked to the ground. You know, we don't, we don't embark on that contemplative life or that journey until sometimes we've just been taken out. The way we've been doing things no longer works. And it certainly uh, applies in, in situations of depression, trauma, you know, extreme events that happen to us that sort of take us down to our knees. That's often the case. It's quite sad, you know, because both Michelle and I have clinical backgrounds and we'll get, and I used to run a biofeedback and stress management program for a large HMO and a pain center for them. And people will sometimes call and say, wow, I just got a terminal diagnosis. Will you teach me how to meditate? And I'll say, sure, but it, it would have been such a great idea if you would have asked me that question 20 or 30 years ago. And you would have had a, a greater running start on this. Um, but those tragedies in our lives, those meltdowns um, can oftentimes really catalyze us, really accelerating the uh, evolutionary journey that we're on and, and increasing our capacity to connect with ourselves and our world and our loved ones in a deeper way. And when we talk about loneliness, you know, part of the theme that we're exploring that what I hear you saying or what I hear you implying is that when we are fully present, when we are, you know, showing up for life, you know, fully awake and available, it it is kind of impossible to be lonely. Um, I think that's true. You know, the more we pay attention, the more fully and deeply connected we feel to our world and the people around us. The more connected, if we drop in even deeper, there's a sense of 
flow of energy and information that moves between us and, and the people and the world around us. And if we drop in even deeper, there's a sense of unity and oneness. And we realize that we're all part of the larger body of life, that, that our lives interweave and that there really is a, a deep, profound, intimate sense of interbeing. I think it, it's a tragedy that so many people are so distracted in their lives and, and um, are gaining such a superficial experience of their lives and making critical decisions that, that affect the lives of countless others um, that have great consequences. So, you know, the remedy is at hand. It's just do we have the will and the motivation to engage in the ways of life and the practices that help us be more connected, more wise, more compassionate, more creative. And in within your business, and when you go into work with other businesses that want to adapt this spirit of practice, how easy is it for them to receive what you're sharing? Um, it's profoundly easy. The good news is rather than teaching some strange computer code that isn't indigenous to the human nervous system, the, what we're teaching people to do is is to um, pay attention, to listen more deeply, to um, to basically do what they're doing already more consciously and more connectedly. I think one of the greatest inspirations around this work is we've one of our we've worked with the Mindfulness Roundtable at the British Parliament, uh, who recently came out with a report called the Mindful Nation Report that basically said if we want to thrive as a nation, we need to encourage people to be more mindful in business, education, healthcare, and criminal justice systems, that tapping into our national um, human resources and human capital really depends on us learning how to pay attention in a deeper way. So. There are some massive trends with this, and we've never encountered a, an organization that had any problem whatsoever uh, integrating and assimilating and thriving with uh, the work that we do. We are going to take a break, and when we return, we will carry on the conversation with Dr. Joel Levy. To learn more, please visit wisdomatwork.com, and on Twitter, that handle is at wisdom at work. And the book, just to give it a plug again, is Living in Balance, A Mindful Guide for Thriving in a Complex World. Here come those tunes, and I promise we will mindfully be right back. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Harvest more happiness by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Lisa Cypress-Kamen author of Got Happiness Now, is also a prestigious TEDx presenter. Her talks, The Mysteries of Fear and the Inversion Theory of Joy, can be found online at TED.com and on the Harvesting Happiness YouTube channel. Be a part of the grateful good. Grateful Nation brings together patients, families, friends, and staff of Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center to support the quality care and groundbreaking research at the Medical Center. Through new and traditional media, members of Grateful Nation share experiences, 
thank our caregivers and researchers, participate in sweepstakes, and gather to sponsor and host events and much more. Being grateful inspires others to be grateful as well. Isn't it time we jumpstart some perpetual gratitude? Visit Grateful Nation online to find out more at www.gratefulnation.org. Have a grateful day. Check out the critically acclaimed documentary film, H Factor, Where is Your Heart? An insightful visual journey from Lisa Cypress Kamen, showing that every person possesses the means to be happy. Follow Lisa and her nine-year-old daughter, Kayla, as they travel the world on the hunt for the universal keys to human happiness. Their question, what makes you happy? Discover the origins of human happiness, where to find it, create it, and keep it. Find it in our shop at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen, the show dedicated to promoting happiness from the inside out by thriving with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. So let's get back to the show and your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. I am speaking today, I have the great pleasure actually of speaking with Dr. Joel Levy, and we were talking about his book, Living in Balance, A Mindful Guide for Thriving in a Complex World, co-authored with his wife, Michelle, um, and how to put mindfulness practices in motion in the, in, in the workplace, for the individual, for, for collective groups and communities. Joel, we were talking at the break about sharing ideas of how to begin this process, the best place to start in creating inner balance and harmony. Yeah, um, well, there's so many simple methods to get started. The good news is that we're already somewhat in touch with our inner and our outer reality. We can just increase that. So um, this notion that frequently throughout the day to pause, get fully present where you are, and then proceed is a real good format for people. We've used this in many different organizations. So uh, for your listeners right now, just pause. Look around. See where you are. Let yourself fully arrive in the place where you are. Hear the sounds. See the sights around you. Just um, get present and, and consider how few people in the world are really awake to where they are in this moment. This is a radical act. So wake up to your surroundings. And then from there, bring your awareness into your body. And for a moment, just be mindful of your body. Feel where you're in touch with the chair or the floor. Um, Be mindful of breathing in and breathing out naturally. Feel your hands. And just let your awareness just drop more deeply into your somatic experience, your experience of your body. And then if you like, drop in a little deeper and just, Smile to yourself as you watch the thoughts in your mind just come and go like clouds in the sky. And without developing those thoughts or pushing them away, trying to edit them, any of the mental images, emotions, or thoughts, just be mindful of your internal quality of being, your inner weather. Mm, I like that, the inner weather. And the concept of thoughts being like clouds or waves in the ocean or a gust of wind, these sort of passing uh, experiences that they come and go and and need not be controlled. They just are. 
You know, mind states, honestly, properly understood, are like another sense. We have this profoundly sensitive nervous system that's bombarded by um, countless influences and waveforms of, of impact, and it generates thoughts. Um, and we attribute meaning to those thoughts. We, we identify with those thoughts and let those thoughts identify us. But if we're able to just step back to gently smile, to regard the thoughts as just passing waveforms in the clear sky of our mind, there's a profound restfulness in that and ease and, and a shedding of stress. And if people were to drop in even deeper now for just a moment and take that awareness that's been being directed out towards the world or out towards the body and turn that awareness inward for a moment and look into awareness itself to just touch a dimension of our being that is just clear, open, boundless knowing and awareness that's like the sky, the clear, open sky in which the waveforms of thoughts and mental images come and go, in which sensations arise and pass, in which perceptions arise and pass. To so just rest for a moment in that clear, open dimension of being that is always available to us, that is integral to our, our very nature. Um, if we learn to become familiar with and wake up to these four dimensions of ourselves, to be awake to our outer world, awake to our, our body, to be awake to the mind states, and to develop a more intimate relationship with this, this really essential dimension of our clear, open, knowing, mindful, loving awareness. Um, these are real keys to connecting not only more deeply with ourselves or more intimately with ourselves, but with others and blasting through the illusion of the, what Einstein called an optical delusion of consciousness that leads us to feel separate from others. And he said the remedy to that optical delusion is to widen the circle of our compassion to embrace all living beings, including ourselves, and the whole of nature and all of its beauty. Mm. Beautiful and, and, and very soothing, I might add. I'm sitting here with my eyes closed, drifting off into a very happy space. So I thank you for that, Joel. <laughs> um, well, the sweet thing is you can also do this in a real, you walking through a mall or sitting in an intense meeting, you know, that all of these levels of experience are available. And, you know, we've done we've done um, retreats uh, at corporate headquarters for you know different for you know organizations like Google and medical centers and and large organizations where where these kinds of practices are integrated like into like urban mindfulness retreats that go on for five days at work where people are are constantly pulsing between dropping into uh, to deeper levels of listening to themselves and their environment and going to work and dropping in more deeply and going to work and just integrating these kinds of pause, presence, proceeds kinds of practices intensely into how they work together in large corporate settings. And the, the results are phenomenal in terms of reduced stress, improved productivity, um, greater um, connection in meaningful ways and harmony and working with coworkers, more fun, more creativity. I like what you just shared about pause, present, proceed. 
Yes. That's it's so simple and so effective, and it does uh, support one just slowing down, even if it's for a few seconds. Yeah. And, you know, it can just become a rhythm and a pulse. You know, there's many apps that people can get, uh, Insight Timer, Mindfulness Bell, kinds of apps that will just ping you now and then and just basically say, hey, take a moment and chill out. Just wake up to yourself, pause, get present, and proceed. Another, um, an, Go ahead. No, no, I was just going to, you know, play the devil's advocate uh, uh, for a second with this because I, I, I agree with you and I practice, uh, I practice what you're preaching and, and, I, and I believe in it and I see the effects of it in the clients that I also work with. But you may have naysayers out there or, or you may be confronted with people that you don't really like and you would say, well, how can I apply this practice um, in the company of people who aren't resonating for me, aren't, aren't yeah. I, I, I just maybe just can't stand them. <laughs> no problem. Um, you know, one of the best techniques, and this is one that actually is part of the curriculum at the Stanford, uh, the new Stanford Center called CCARE, the Center for Compassion and Altruism Research and Education at Stanford University, is a practice to regard other people that we encounter um, as, oh, with a sense of, oh, just like me, just like me, this person wants to be happy. Just like me, this person feels stressed or sad or overwhelmed sometimes. Just like me, this person wants to go home at the end of the day feeling like they've lived a meaningful life or delivered value. Just like me, this person gets anxious or, or really thrives on people listening to them and feeling valued. And you know, most of us have a default mode of judgment. We've grown up with that. You know, we drive down the streets doing drive-by shootings of people with our judgments, and it's just kind of our normal, default, dysfunctional, neurotic way of living. And so as an alternative to that, to begin to adjust the filters of your perception and regard for others, even those who are extremely irksome, and be able to, to find some common ground of, of shared humanity and to regard people through this through this filter of, oh, just like me. Um, yeah, but- this person uh, really wants to thrive in their life. That's a profound technique. I love doing that in situations where, you know, like the London tube at rush hour and shopping malls or shopping at Costco or something like that, just to look out and go, oh, yeah, just like me. This is a fabulous practice. Oh, just like me. And especially when we are confronted with challenges. You know, if somebody is undergoing something that is very, very difficult for them. I, I do a lot of work in trauma and addiction recovery, and there's a lot of healing that needs to be done. And to be able to see the other as similar, it, like you said, activates the, the shared humanity. Yes. And like Einstein said in that, that just beautiful, beautiful teaching of his, you know, we must free ourselves from the optical delusion of our separate self, the optical delusion of consciousness, by widening the circle of our compassion to embrace all living beings and the whole of nature and all of its beauty. And the practices like this just 
uh, incinerate that optical delusion of a separate self and help us tune more deeply into some some experience, some embodied experience of shared um, humanity. It's, it is beautiful. Um, we are almost out of time, I think, and I wanted to ask you really quickly about encouraging leaders to t- um, take the first step in putting away their own devices, logging off the computer, connecting, demonstrating presence in a very clear and defined way that sets the tone in a business environment for others to do the same. Yes. Um, well, with the leaders that we work with, and we, we've worked with tens of thousands of leaders and hundreds of leading organizations around the globe and, and you know, a lot of the work around culture change and development, the guidelines that we give as people become more familiar with uh, these practices is uh, to challenge people that before they touch their devices in the morning, other than maybe turn off an alarm, um, before they log on to the internet or the cloud, that they log on to themselves, that they log on to their internet, their internet, and that they become mm. awake, awake that they're awake, that they take a few moments to contemplate gratitude for the gifts and supports and, and resources available to them, that they clarify their intention and, and really celebrate all those aspects of their lives that support them in fulfilling that intention, and that they begin their day by calibrating their own basic instrument rather than um, relying on their outer devices. We are out of time. Dr. Joel Levy, thank you so much for joining us. To learn more, please visit wisdomatwork.com. And on Twitter, that handle is Wisdom at Work. Once again, the book authored by Dr. Joel and Michelle Levy is Living in Balance, A Mindful Guide for Thriving in a Complex World. Here are a few thir- uh, start over. Here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. Happiness simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen, and my guests today, Kira Asatrian and Dr. Joel Levy, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with Toginet and KBUU and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange. Go out and make it a great one. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new broadcast and continue to harvest your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on iTunes and SoundCloud. To learn more about Lisa's global practice as an applied positive psychology coach specializing in lifestyle management as well as addiction and trauma recovery services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness.